I'm sitting here in my own house, minding my own business. Where you been? I don't think you can. I've been having a hell of a time. When I'm bad. End of question and answer period. Welcome to High Camp, the podcast where I try to watch all 406 movies reviewed in an out-of-print gay film guide before I die. I'm your host, Brian Rucker. And today I have a very special guest. Very uh, special. <laughs> he is a writer, an actor, a teacher, a podcaster, and he's my husband. That's right. Mr. John Flynn. Hello. Hey. Thank you for finally letting me be on your oh podcast. Oh my God. Thank you for doing this in a pinch, guys. I've had quite a 24 hours technology-wise. All right. It's okay. We're going to get through it. Yeah, we're going to get through it. I recorded um, a wonderful podcast about uh, the movie Female Trouble with Heather Jewett, which I don't think is... Um, Totally lost. It's on my computer, which I spilled water on recording another podcast yesterday. And so the computer is... mm, It's drying out right now. It's drying out. It's at Betty Ford. TBD to see (laughs) if it's uh, dead or alive. I have a... An appointment with an off-brand Apple store called (laughs) Mikey's Hookup today this afternoon. So we'll see what's going on. But in the meantime... Yeah, I uh, I got John here. And you got my laptop. And oh yes, I said most you can use my laptop thing. as long as I'm your guest. Your beautiful <laughs> new laptop that you somehow just never uh, mess up. There's never overheating. There's never water. I don't know how you do it. Uh, just lucky, I guess. Because you like take it places too. Yeah. I yeah. There's I, a sleeve in my bag that is specifically made for a laptop. Maybe that's it. It's oh, a maybe I should sleeve. get a sleeve. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Well. The next computer. I always say that every time I buy a laptop, I'm like, the next one I'm going to take care of. And then, oh, I don't know. Right. Uh, so today we are going to talk about the 1974 movie musical spectacular Mame. Yes. Starring Lucille Ball and B. Arthur and various other Robert 70s. Preston. Robert, Robert Preston. He was Music Man. Yes. That's Victor Victoria? Thing. Yes, correct. Yeah. You sort got of it. Over the Hill by now. Mm, okay. Yeah, I don't know. They're all, <laughs> they all seem over the hill to me. Um, but before we do that, I ask all my guests, what have you been watching lately? Well, uh, I would say together we have been watching a lot of Drag Race, both yeah. Drag Race UK and uh, Drag Race Thailand season two. Um and I also just finished watching Barry season two, which I loved. I think it's I think that show is so great. Yeah, Barry's great. It's uh it's just it's such a, a specific world of like valley mm-hmm. aspiring actor yeah. plus um hitman Horrible, culture. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> drug running hitman culture it's yeah it's so impressive and amazing how they balance the two and i just think the 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 twists that happen plot wise like i'm always sort of like surprised and like really like it's not one of those shows where I feel like, oh, I know how this is going to end up. I know how this, what turn is going to happen. He, they keep doing such great stuff with it. I think it's a, a, it's amazing how they balance those two completely different tones, and I feel like they respect them both. It's not like one of them gets a short shrift or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I love that. Yeah, and it does like uh, there's other shows where um, they try to balance sort of two different worlds or two different tones and it seems mm-hmm. uh like a weird juxtaposition and mm-hmm. f- for some reason Barry it all seems of a piece like yeah it's I guess how it works Bill Hader's performance is so good uh and the second season I think was probably even better than the first season which is rare for like a a show where the first season is so strong out of the gate. Yeah, especially a show like that, which is in a lot of ways kind of high concept. And so it's hard to be like, you know, I think most shows, especially, uh, well, any show really, because like the first season when you pitch it, like when you're trying to get it made, you like usually have like, this is what the first season sort of broadly figured out at least. So you sort of everything. And then I think a lot of times when you go to the second season, you're like, oh, great. Uh, shit. Now what do we do? You know, and I feel like that's always a challenge. Uh, and I feel like most shows actually, if they do make it to a third season, usually the third season like clicks in a way that, a lot of times other seasons haven't. I think it's because usually at that point, everyone involved in the show, like we get the show, we understand how the show works and everyone is usually sort of like operating at a high level. So I'm really excited to see the next season of Barry. Yeah. And you, this is high praise coming from you because you don't watch too much like scripted TV, uh, uh, like hour longs and half hours. 
Uh, I mean, I do. I guess I do sort of enjoy reality shows more. But even with that, I just want to say with the caveat. Yeah. Just, no, the, <laughs> just the competitive ones. Like the ones oh, like, yes. like I don't like a Housewives. I'm not crazy about those. I'm not crazy about uh, like the like I've, I've watched 10 minutes of a Kardashian show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but like I do. Yeah, I still watch Survivor. I like, uh, you know, Runway again, Drag Race, all those. And the competitive ones I really like because even though like because I feel like, yes, there's a contrivance. But like that's the point of it. Like it's not like they're pretending you know what I mean? Like with a housewives where they're like, let's pretend we're fighting or let's make a big deal out of this thing that isn't necessarily a big deal. Not all the time. Yeah. Sometimes they do have legitimate arguments. No, I know what you mean. But like, I feel like, you know, like, yes, it, you could say it's absurd, whatever's happening in Survivor, but that's the point of it. Yeah, or, you well, know. It's reality show as mm-hmm. it's, it's really as a, a game sporting show. event. Yeah, yeah game yeah. show. Absolutely. I guess I would say with housewives, <laughs> I think of them as competitive reality shows because especially if you follow sort of the behind the scenes of who's in Andy's good graces and who's right. coming back for next season, who gets airtime, mm-hmm. who's getting the good edit. Like mm-hmm. it is, you're watching, sort of watching for like the plot and the actual text of the show, but then there's so much sort of uh, subtext and like extra textual stuff going on that, that that's at least how I watch them. Whereas sure. the Kardashians, I really have no interest in. Right. Um, because it does seem like it's just a promotional tool for, for this Them, family. Yeah, yeah. And it, Whenever I've tried to watch it, it's it's been just so slow. But some people yeah. like that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Drag Race. We've been watching. We've been watching both the UK version and the second season of Drag Race Thailand at the same time. Yeah, which is I think is very interesting because they're so different. Like yeah. the uh, the UK Drag Race, I feel like it get this. What I get from that show, what I get the sense is like the UK drag scene is much more about personality and comedy. It's less about looks. It's less about. Um, I would say like a fierceness, you know what I mean? Or like the what is valued seems to be more like wit and comedy. Whereas Drag Race Thailand, uh, it's all about looks. Like almost every single one of their runways is like two looks. Uh, it's all very like high polish. Uh, I think part of that might have to do with the fact that um, a lot of, not all the contestants on that show speak the same language. Uh, like some of them don't speak Thai. Some of them, a few of them only speak English or, or I think... Yeah, because the second season, it is still called Drag Race Thailand, but it seems like they're trying to make it more sort of a pan-Asian. Yeah. there's uh there's... Um, Korean. Uh, well, I, I think there's at least someone from the Philippines. There's mm-hmm. someone from South Asia. Uh, and I don't know that English is any of their first languages, but it's right. the, the language that, that it you It seems to be the most with. common. Yeah. yeah, but some of them... Yeah, some of them, it seems like they cannot communicate with each other. So I guess in if that is what you're... If that's the situation you find yourself in, like comedy challenges would be hard. Mm-hmm. But also, it doesn't seem to be like that's necessarily what they value because even all their mini challenges tend to be like a photo shoot or that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how much is like the humor is stuff that's maybe going over our heads because the, the culture is so different and how possibly. But yeah. I, I do think that, um, yeah, they just value look queens more and, mm-hmm. and, and the, the drag culture there is yeah. is uh, geared towards that where in the UK, it's it's almost the other end of the spectrum. Right. And like the American drag race seems sort of somewhat in the middle. In the middle, yeah. And um, because uh, British drag comes from such a culture of of comedy. Right. And it seems like, like camp and panto yeah, and all that stuff. All the queens are, are like comedy queens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I mean, all of, all of them are fascinating, but like the 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 regionalisms of both the, the British and the Thai are, are interesting because we we just aren't familiar with that right. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to see like a, a Liverpool queen versus a Belfast queen versus an East London queen and try to like sort of figure out what that means or how that connects to, uh, to like what the, the different regionalisms in, in American Queens are. Yeah, everything's good. I was just looking at the volume. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Um, what else have you oh, oh we... i watched judy i saw the oh, right. i finally saw judy uh last week i thought it was really good i really liked it i thought um there were times uh i wasn't as crazy about the flashbacks i didn't need so many of those uh but i thought renee zellberger did a great job uh i love the fashion in it like all of like the all of the outfits are so well expertly tailored mm-hmm. uh in a way that i was like ah oh, that's so great um and the patterns were also loud and bold there was so much stuff though that i felt like wasn't real or just felt like a little too like like the ending especially like part of me I was like like so much like I think the story in and of itself is interesting enough that I didn't want there to be like and I found myself so much being like is this real how much of this is real and I almost didn't I I either wanted the stuff that wasn't real to be clearly not real or clearly like more fantasy 
which I think you could get away with, especially in a Judy Garland story, um, rather than make it see, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just wish that there was more of that or more of like a, a sense of sticking to the actual story yeah. rather than gilding the lily in the ways that I, I'm pretty sure it did. Because, yeah, the way it's, the story's told, you almost start to not trust yourself or trust the movie because mm-hmm. it doesn't differentiate between what was historical fact and what was fiction. Right. So then you sort sort of start like not believing any of it. And you're like, what? But mm-hmm. I, I agree that I thought the movie was on the whole successful and it looked really good. She, I think I've said before on the podcast, but she doesn't do a real impersonation, but there's something within Renee Zellweger's personality that somehow translates and um, is able to like portray that vulnerability that Judy Garland embodied. Yeah. Uh, in a cool, I mean, di- so different from like Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury last year, where to mm-hmm. me at least, it seemed like he was just trying to do a straight imperson- impersonation right. with the false teeth and and all that stuff. And this, mm-hmm. it really seems like she she like got under the skin in a right. way that most biopic performances don't. Yeah, and I also think she had they that she had a benefit in a way that that movie did the did the smart thing that I think biopics do of like we're not going to do her whole life. You know what I mean? We're not going to try to make her whole life uh, like a coherent story. And it was mostly focused on just like a chapter of her life. And I feel like that's always a tough thing when a biopic tries to be like, here's the this person from birth to death, you know? It's, yeah. Because they rarely fit into like a neat story um, the way that we sort of are used to or feel satisfying for us as an audience member. And so by just focusing on like, here's this, you know, event she had in London, uh, I think was a smarter thing and allowed for that. Yeah, I think after after Walk Hard, it's it's really hard to do a straight biopic from cradle to grave mm-hmm. because that story is 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 so similar to everyone like there, there's the same beats in right. all of those stories mm-hmm. so it just becomes it's like a superhero not, and origin story in a way yeah yeah exactly yeah uh, so yeah I wonder I think people aren't really making those anymore also because you're gonna have to have different actors playing the different roles or do like weird, I mean, now maybe with de-aging and stuff, who knows what's gonna happen. But yeah, I appreciate the the movies that take like a specific event and mm-hmm. and, and make the movie uh, About that surrounding that, yeah. Uh, I have been watching, well, I watched Parasite. You still haven't seen Parasite. I still have not no? seen Parasite now. So I won't talk about that in depth, but <laughs> just go see it. That's gonna be a movie, if you guys are into like Oscar race or whatever, that's gonna be around for a long time. And I really think it has the potential to be like the most successful foreign language film in America of all time. Oh, wow. it's, it's so accessible. It's so, um, it's just like a, a great thriller that also talks about class consciousness. It, it's very, it reminds me of when Get Out came out a, a couple years ago, okay. just sort of like hitting all those buttons that people are talking about in a really like fun way, mm-hmm. but about a serious subject. And I don't, I mean, who knows, like, what the, the subtitles in the Korean language will be an obstacle for some people, but I really think it's going to uh, have a, a wider audience than most of these foreign language movies. The other thing I've been watching recently, which you probably wouldn't be interested in that much, but <laughs> okay. I love, is um, the show Unbelievable on Netflix. Okay, It's a cop show. Oh, right. Uh, and I, I mean, I adore cop shows. I love any detective thing, any noir. I still say Amazon's Bosch is the greatest <laughs> current show on television. And I think Unbelievable is like on that Bosch level. Okay. Uh, it's And it's mostly women in the cast, which is rare mm. for uh, a cop, cop show. show. So yeah. I thought it would be, you know, apt to at least talk about it a little bit on High Camp. Mm-hmm. But, um, and it's heavy. It's not campy. It's the, the first episode especially is is very, um, very heavy and dark because it, it depicts uh, the rape of a young woman who's living in like a halfway home. She's um, played by Caitlin Deaver, who was in Booksmart, mm-hmm. and she's been in a bunch of stuff. She's great. But then in the second episode, you get to meet the two detectives who you'll be following along for the rest of the case, played by Tony Collette, who, you know, everyone yeah. knows is a national treasure, amazing. <laughs> and then Merritt Weaver, oh, yeah, who she's also um, is amazing. Like, she. Because I've seen her, I, n- I never really seen Nurse Jackie where she, she won the Emmy she won for that. that. Emmy, that, that yeah, the surprise um, Emmy. And then she was in a Western called Godless that was on Netflix oh, last okay, year, yes. which I didn't think was that successful, but she, she was very good. But in this show, she plays a younger uh, Christian. She's Christian, and it all takes place in Colorado. Um, but she's a detective who is religious, and she has a level of just humanity and empathy that I think is really rare for any actor to be able to just sort of embody because mm-hmm. she doesn't really I mean she 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 plays it very straight she's not like playing Mother Teresa or anything <laughs> but she, and it sort of reminded me of Judy Garland and the way that oh, Judy yeah? was able to just be so um 
so empathetic in all of her performances and you really just feel for it. And I don't think it's something that an actor can like train for or do. Like, I think it's, you either have it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And Merritt Weaver is just one of those performances that you're just oh, like, I love this woman so much. Oh, nice. Um, so it's, yeah, I still have like two episodes to go. I'm sort of trying to save them. Um, cause it's so good. And I think it's like a limited series. So if, if it's back next year, I think it would be because this case was also based on a real case. Oh, okay. So if it's back next year, I believe that it would be like a totally different like a show kind of thing. Yeah, probably <clears throat> like not. Would they try to do a True Detective. They yeah, do do yeah, a True, True Detective or um, American Crime Story or any oh, of those. Gotcha. So I, I sort of wish that like uh, at least Tony Collette and Merritt Weaver would be back next year, mm-hmm. but I think because they're based on real people, I don't know that that's that's possible. That'd be tough, yeah. Uh, but this show also has, I mean, just an all star cat like Elizabeth Marvel's in it. Uh, Dale Dickey, Annalie Ashford, Bridget Everett. It's just like full That's of great. amazing yeah. female performances, which is rare for uh, a cop show. And so, yeah, if you can get past the real like darkness and heaviness of the first episode, then it does become a little bit more of like a traditional police procedural. But also the, what I think is great is most of these shows are about murder and or like serial killers or whatever and this okay. no one was murdered in the show it is um about sexual assault but it's taking that as seriously as murder which in the show most of the male police officers don't they uh-huh. think and, and so they don't spend as many resources trying to solve these cases okay um and the show like the thesis of the show is like no this is just as horrible as being as murder. And so we're going to, we're going to take it as seriously as that. Oh, cool. So yeah, I love that show. All right. Uh, let's move on to <laughs> MAME. The reason We've, we're here today. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> so I think this is the 18th or 19th episode of this show that mm-hmm. I've recorded. And I do have to say this might be the least enjoyable <laughs> movie I've sat through. <laughs> Not that I hated it because there it's were parts like, that sure. are interesting. But it's, I mean, these movie musicals are just so long. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I chose this one because you had said, we had talked for a while about me being a guest yeah. and, and we were saying like, oh, because I, you know, I'm a big fan of musicals. I should do one of those. And so looking over the list, I thought, well, why don't I, I'll pick something that no one else will want to pick. <laughs> so, you know, cause like, yeah, obviously tons of people would want to say, I don't like Wizard of Oz or Victor Victoria, anything yeah. else that's on the list. But I was like, all right, this is one that uh, is fascinating in a lot of ways because it is turned out the way it did. Uh, but it is, it is not a good movie. No. It is undeniable. You, it's hard to say it is a good movie. It, it kind of isn't. Yeah. And it's interesting because you'd think on this list of camp movies, there would be more movie musicals. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just Paul Rowan's taste or uh, because movie musicals were way more sort of mainstream entertainment when he was growing up. They right. weren't really considered camp objects like they right. are today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are fewer than you would expect. Gotcha. And I, yeah, for the first musical we're talking about, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast because <laughs> you know more about musicals than anyone I've ever met in my life. So it's perfect. Great. Um, so before we get into the the the, the gory details, I'm going to read Paul Rowan's review of Mame. So mm-hmm. if this is the first episode of High Camp you've ever listened to, I stole the name of this podcast from a duo of gay film guides published in the 1990s by uh, an amateur film critic and professional librarian from Duluth, Minnesota. His name was Paul Rowan, and he wrote reviews for all of these. Um, and his review for Mame is mercifully short. He says, This, of course, is our old friend, Anti-Mame, dressed up as a musical. It is all too obviously a multi-million dollar spectacle. I'm astounded that such a vast expenditure of time, effort, and money could result in such a perfectly tedious motion picture. The secret, I think, resides in the casting. The title role has been given to Lucille Ball, who looks absolutely antediluvian and furthermore can't sing. Indeed, her utter lack of musical ability was used as a running gag on the old I Love Lucy television series. What's worse, the entire production has been ostentatiously designed to showcase her as a great lady of the screen. This has the unintended effect of making the movie even more inert. A portrait of her, painted in the swooningly decadent style of Gustav Klimt, adorns her posh apartment in the film. It is considerably more dazzling than her performance. What this movie could and should have been is hinted at in the splendid hauteur of Beatrice Arthur's performance. With marvelous wit, she has hit upon the novel idea of playing Vera Charles, Mame's dearest chum, as a drag queen. 
She looks, acts, and talks like a man dressed up as a woman. Indeed, an unprejudiced observer would think that that's what she really was. Contributing to this vivid impression is Arthur's big musical number, which is entitled, The Man in the Moon is a Lady, and includes such suitably fruity lyrics as, Don't ever offend her, remember her gender. And the cow that jumped over cried, Jump in Jehovah, I think it's just one of the girls. This song, by the way, has almost the same identical melody as I've Written a Letter to Daddy, which was sung so memorably by Miss Betty Davis in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. The supporting cast is large and richly varied. It saddens me to see such diverse talents as Ruth McDevitt and Roger Price, who the fuck are they, (laughs) appearing in such frustratingly useless capacity. Well... I guess we all pretty much agree here. <laughs> Even though, I, like, I wonder if he didn't really know B. Arthur because I've I, was, I don't know, I was like B. Arthur isn't trying to act like a drag queen. Like the, no. she's just acting like herself. She's acting like, like B. Arthur. What she right. is. Yeah. Well, and also B. Arthur is one of the two of the main uh, roles that reprised her role from the Broadway version. Got it. Yeah. So, um, so you know more than I do about the history of this movie. Based so, Mame is based on a musical version of the story Anti-Mame, which was a book and then a play and then a movie itself in the 50s. Yeah, so it first was a book and then it was a play and then became a movie with Rosin Russell, which is great yeah. and really fun. And it's one of those things too where like even like, and then it became a musical on Broadway uh, starring Angela Lansbury and then it became this movie musical starring Lucille Ball. And uh, it's one of those places. Have you ever seen the original Anti-Mame? That movie is great and fun and Rosin Russell is wonderful in I it. I have to admit, I think I have seen it a long time ago and mm-hmm. I was even bored by that I think uh, yeah I could see that there's a way that it's sort of creep, uh, creaky and it feels like of a time and I love Rosalind Russell I should yeah. try it again yeah uh, and Anti-Mame is sort of one of those characters where it's sort of that tough thing where like on screen or like on on you know on the stage there's like oh what a fun madcap crazy person although like in reality they would probably be insufferable oh and impossible God. yeah um, and it's also what is weird too about this movie is like in a way like Lucille like on paper it should work like Lucille Ball, like is like it. It should be a great role for her, uh, but it just wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that's what's um, so. I, I still can't really put my figure. I mean, it's like there's so many things wrong with the movie, right? But I just I still don't understand why it's so deadly dull. Yeah. Well, for one, Lucille Ball can't sing, and in uh, Jerry Herman's biography, he talked about how like she's just sort of like. First of all, she has because she's like was a smoker for like her whole life. She has no breath support, so she can't like sustain a note for like longer than a few seconds. Uh, and so, but also like she's she's tone deaf. Like it's hard for her to hear like one note to the next or like how a melody goes. So the score, if um, had to be patched together. Like she would come in and try to sing a song, she wouldn't get it right. And so then what would happen is. Jerry Herman said she would come in and like first thing he'd be like like play a note on the piano and be like sing this note or sing this word on this note and she could do that but then like knowing like how higher or how to like modulate her voice to get to the next note she couldn't do so it was truly pieced together like, like note by note note by oh note the God. entire score uh, which is part of the reason why like they've never remastered and also the movie itself uh, she's always uh, shot in a soft focus oh boy is she yeah. <laughs> so that's why because when we we watched it last night and when. When you, you know, when we got it off of Amazon Prime, you're like, oh, there's no high def version of it. It's like, because they can't. Like, there's no point in making this high def because it would not, it would look so weird. It would look that much weirder, I think. Oh, or yeah, that's true. Or it costs so much money to make it not look weird. And the movie itself is such a bomb. Like, it is not worth the investment to do that to this movie. No, and she probably, from beyond the grave, would not want this to be high def at all because, like, <laughs> sure, she looks so crazy anyway. She looks so crazy. Yeah, uh, the reviewer Rex Reed, that bitch, he oh. said, when he, when he reviewed this movie, he said it looks like they uh, smeared chicken fat on the lens every time they shot Lucille Ball. Rex Reed. Uh, well, <laughs> I would mean. like to see you, Rex Reed, in a high in high def now in 2019, you old fucking queen. You could see him. It was at uh, Myra Breckenridge. Yeah, He's but that was movie. when he was young. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So, like, musically, she's wrong for it. She's, you know, it's absolutely uh, not supposed to... She shouldn't have played this role. And it's surprising that they didn't cast Angela Lansbury because she was a success on Broadway. She won the Tony. She had been nominated for three Oscars by yeah, this she point. she was a much bigger, I mean, movie star than Lucille Ball ever was. Yeah. Uh, but I guess because of television and... and yeah, and her- I think uh, the rumors that Lucille Ball put in a lot of money mm. into this movie. So, you know, obviously then she's going to do it because she wants to play it. 
Um, but yeah, it is that weird thing of like, I don't know why it doesn't work. Another thing that had happened was uh, they were supposed, filming had to be delayed because Lucille Ball had broken her leg in a skiing accident. And so George Cooker was supposed to be the director, but because of the delay, he couldn't do it. So they got uh, Gene Sachs, who had directed the Broadway version of it, who also was at the time the author's husband. Oh. So he ended up directing the movie. And he doesn't seem like he really knew how to direct a movie because it, it, like there's there's inconsistencies in the shots. Like it'll just like jump. Mm -hmm. I imagine, I mean, George Cooker would have been probably pretty old by then, but he at least knows his way around an editing room. Yeah. (laughs) And Gene Sachs uh, being a theater director, I think he probably was sort of uh, unprepared for what to do. Possibly. I'm not sure how, what kind of experience he had had at that point with film. I also wonder though, again, because he directed the Broadway version, if there was a sense of like, Oh, here's the pace of how it worked on stage or here's that kind of pacing. And they just sort of tried to recreate that, which maybe didn't, which didn't translate on film. Because as we were watching it, you were even saying like, these things should be funny. These jokes should be landing, but they're not. It just feels so deadly. Because there's like, there's some, yeah, funny jokes in the, the screenplay is not really bad. It's like, it's It's full of one-liners, full of zingers. And you think of, oh, Lucille Ball and B. Arthur are two, have the, two of the like best comic timing in the business. Yeah. And you're like, oh, why isn't this working? But yeah, it just seems (laughs) the pace. And it's weird because in theater, you think of um, the pace of of saying dialogue in theater is even quicker than in mm-hmm. film, um, but yeah, I wonder if they're like trying to overcorrect or whatever because there's just like these long spaces between lines of dialogue, mm-hmm. uh, and so it just like breaks any momentum that could be having. Yeah, so uh, it's got that problem going for it. <laughs> um, and I feel like Lucy Ball, like the young boy we talked about, like there's no chemistry between her and the young boy, which this is so hard. This kid is a dud. And I usually <laughs> don't like child actors. And this is one of the worst I've ever seen. I mean, poor, I, I'm sorry to this man if he's still, if he's listening. He's still. But, <laughs> but like, it is rough. He's yeah. So not, just like not even like cute. He's like gross looking. Yeah. He, that, uh, I was, according to IMDb, uh, Lucy Ball said they found him. Uh, uh, he, they saw him on a bread commercial. Um, and if you look at his IMDb, he has like only four movie credits and they're all like when he was kids. So I think a, a kid. So I think I imagine he sort of like grew out of it and was just like, Oh, I don't want to do this oh, anymore. Good. I'm glad like for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those tough things where like, because it is, it is one of those things, again, like I said, where like, oh, in theater, if you're just sort of being like fantastical, but like, oh, how delightful, how crazy, how madcap. But when you really think about it, you're like, oh, no, this is bad. Like, this kid is in a bad situation. Yeah. And if there's no chemistry between the two of them, there's nothing there. No. Well, and the um, there is no chemistry. And I don't think the, the script, and I don't know about the stage version, but they don't they don't really let them develop a relationship in the movie. They're like, mm-hmm. he... He comes, his dad dies, and he, you know, gets, he intrudes on her, like, crazy party party, that she's having. And then it just sort of fast forwards to, like, there's, like, a montage of them hanging out. Like, they're in hot air balloons. They're hanging off the (laughs) side of the the Statue of Liberty. They parachute onto the the head of the Um, Statue of Liberty. And then, and then immediately, because she uh, enrolls him in this very creepy, like, nudist school, (laughs) which is so insane. Um, And then, and then he gets taken away from her mm-hmm. but then he just like uh like runs away and comes back to live with her but then you never her. you never see them actually um connecting cuz she's always either hung over and he's weird i don't know it's you never you never understand what he sees in her and like what she is making him um but she how she's good for him yeah, and how, how she's, she's like helping him, him, yeah, exactly. him yeah 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 um yeah, it's tough. I've actually never seen this musical on stage, so I don't know how different this this version is um, from that. But uh, yeah, it is it is tough. Um, but it's got, it's got a fun score. But you know, if you have Lucy Ball can't singing it, it's no. tough too. Yeah, I would like to hear other because I I'm such a huge Hello Dolly fan. I think mm-hmm. like that is maybe the best just collection of songs ever written for a show. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's just one hit after another. Sure. And this one, I mean, there's, um, what's the Christmas one called? We need a little Christmas, Christmas is from this classic. one. That one you probably have heard before. Bosom Buddies, which is the duet she has with B. Arthur, um, uh, is a good one. There are other songs you might have heard like, um, like, uh, it's today open a new window. I mean, they're very like Jerry Herman, like live life. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of stuff. I don't really remember even after watching the movie like 12 <laughs> hours ago, I don't really remember any of the other songs. Um, yeah, I mean, it is a fun Jerry. I think there was, but this also came after hello Dolly. And I think there was a way in which that, 
uh, like the title song Mame, like there was a sense of like, you need to have like, like with Hello Dolly, like you need to have the title song, which like everyone just dances around the lead character talking about how great she is. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of what Mame suffers from is like, we are constantly being told how amazing she is, even though like we're sort of like, I guess, but she's yeah, not really she's, doing anything amazing. She's sort of like wooden. And it's and again and I and I I wanted to because you um had like a few musicals that you maybe wanted to talk about and I <laughs> chose this because I am such and I probably haven't said this enough <laughs> I'm such a huge Lucille Ball fan right like she is for me the first star I remember liking uh-huh. as 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 like a toddler from my my mom um uh, showed me I Love Lucy. And she's also the first celebrity I remember dying when I was a kid and remember that like affecting me. Uh, And like all of my sort of initial interest in comedy and, and Hollywood and all that stuff really comes from Lucille Ball Mm -hmm. and, uh, and to see her. And again, like, it's so weird because there's not, it's Lucille Ball. Like, and she, there's certain things that she's still able to do, like the physical comedy and certain Mm -hmm. like looks she gives reactions, uh, line readings, but for some reason, it just doesn't translate at all. And and yeah, like on paper, you'd think this would. I mean, she's old, she's too old for the role. <laughs> yes. But like you'd think, oh, she'd be a good to play sort of a warm, eccentric, um, kooky woman. You'd think Lucille Ball would be the perfect choice. And right. It, and then it's just all wrong. And I yeah, I still am like I don't know exactly what's going on. <laughs> uh, How did this happen? Because she, I mean, she's someone who started off her career playing sort of like vampy because she's so beautiful. Right. Vampy roles in the thirties. She never really made it big. So she did a lot of B movies and then sort of stumbled. Uh, yeah. She's some comedy. She's got some like MGM musicals like under her belt. Like, yeah. She yeah. did stage door. Mm-hmm. Um, she did uh Dewberry was a lady. was mm-hmm. like her first sort of starring role. Um, and then, but after I love Lucy, she, uh, she obviously found what she was great at and, and then kept trying to replicate that for, and I looked at her IMDb, she didn't stop working for the rest of her life pretty much. Oh, I'm sure. Because yeah. like I Love Lucy lasted from 1950 to almost 1960 when she and Desi got divorced. And then immediately in 1962, she started uh, the Lucy show and that lasted. Mm. And then immediately after that one, it was here. Here's Lucy, which both of those shows, <laughs> I've never seen an episode of both those. Shows. They both lasted 150 episodes each. Wow. They were both big hits. And then, and then Mame and then, she never did. Name is her last movie. The movie, last movie yeah. she ever did. And then in the eighties, she tried to do a show called Life with Lucy, um, <laughs> where she was uh, she like had to move in with her daughter and her grandkids, and her granddaughter was actually played by Jenny Lewis oh, in funny. one of her first big roles. Um, but that show, I think they shot thirteen episodes, but it only aired like four of them. Wow! Because apparently. Um, this is from Wikipedia or IMDb or something, <laughs> but the, the studio audience, like when, when Lucy would have to do a bit of physical comedy or like a pratfall mm-hmm. or something, everyone was just so scared for her because she was so, so old and yeah, frail yeah. that it wasn't funny. Right. You couldn't enjoy it. Yeah. And then after that, apparently she just thought the public no longer liked her and she sort of retired, but then she passed away a few years after that. Mm-hmm. That's uh, so yeah. I don't know. Um, and then let's talk about, Angela Lansbury because that's because you know the other story um Angela Lansbury took because Lucy was up for the Lucille Ball was up for the role in the Manchurian Candidate oh really and apparently I don't know the exact story but that was something that Angela Lansbury like took from her so I wonder if it was a bit of oh um, funny oh I don't know maybe a little sort of like revenge (laughs) I always like I always like to pit women against each other (laughs) oh that's interesting uh I did not know that because she's what like a, a decade younger than Lucille Ball? I would imagine. And B. Arthur's probably she. She and B. Arthur would have been about the same age, right? Who? Angela Lansbury and B. Arthur. Uh, probably that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and Lucille Ball is not. She's only like yeah, ten maybe ten years older than B. Arthur, but she looks so. I mean, I think because she's a smoker and a drinker. She's a smoker and a drinker. She yeah, looks yeah, so yeah. much older. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, <laughs> too bad. <laughs> too bad she didn't do more skincare. Yeah, um, well, another fun fact is that, so uh, Agnes Gooch is a like a sort of minor character in the movie that uh, was supposed to be played by Madeline Kahn. And in yeah. fact, she did a few days of shooting, um, but then there's sort of like, uh, 
weird she got fired and you know there's some people say that she realized she wanted to get fired because actually because she got fired from that she was able to do blazing saddles oh this was before blazing this is before saddles. blazing saddles so she was madeline Kahn would have been mostly a theater person yeah before mm-hmm. then so um some i mean apparently you know i think the official report is lucille ball like took one look at her and said oh she can't play this dowdy character um there's some Rumors that say that Madeline Kahn got herself fired because she didn't want to do it. But if she quit, she wouldn't get paid. But if she got fired, mm-hmm. she could, she would have to get paid. Um, so they end up getting the woman who uh, played it on Broadway. Yeah. So those those are the two. Her and B. Arthur are the two people who had done it on Broadway who reprised their roles in the film. And that woman is good. That part is weird because she's is just, a weird part. She's just sort of this this dowdy, dowdy yeah, frumpy woman who like doesn't. Doesn't know much about life. Yeah, she's like completely isolated. She says she's never even like been on a date with the guy. Mm-hmm. And then Mame uh, and tells Arthur, her to yeah. like and be, yeah, let they, down her hair, dress a little different, go out there, live life, and then she comes back and she's pregnant. Yeah, and then they have to like hide <laughs> her. Um, yeah. yeah, this is one of those shows too that like it because it's such a like a great plum role for like a, a like a musical theater actress. People keep wanting to revive it, but I don't think it ever had. I think there was. I think Angela Lansbury brought it back for like a like a like a limited run. Like I want to say in the early '80s or maybe in the '70s or something like that. But um, it's never had a Broadway revival. It's never had a big, you know, major production. Even though like people are always like, "Oh, I would love to." Like it's one of those. Ro- it it feels like it should be like a Dolly Levi, yeah. Hello Dolly, where she's like, "Oh, just like a succession of women can come in and do this." And in the original Broadway production, I think that happened. I know Ginger Rogers played it for a while and like to a lot of different success. But there's so many sort of weird problematic parts of it. There's that thing. There's also one of her, uh, one of Mame's butlers. His name is Ido, and he's just like sort of a Chinese stereotype. Um, there, yeah, there's a lot of weird politics in this movie, mm-hmm. uh, and and it it was confusing because at first, well, we'll go into like the different sort of set pieces <laughs> and the different regions of the country that like Mame blasts her right, way through. Yeah. But um, oh, I also. Christine Bransky, I guess, did a revival of it. Oh, in in Washington, D.C. Yeah, I think that they which, talked about bringing to New York. She would be perfect. Happen. She seems like a really good choice, yeah. But yeah, I um, wonder, is there something about the... Well, yeah, maybe it's the problematic nature of the the show. I think it's that, and it's just it is one of those roles that is tough to navigate, I think, but it doesn't seem that way. Do you know who, in the during the Broadway run, uh, expressed interest, and Jared Herman was like so excited to have her take over, but the producers would not let it happen, was Judy Garland, actually. Wow. And I think she would be great. She would be, like, she could nail that. Because also, uh, Jerry Herman also says that, like, her voice was a voice he was imagining in his head as he was writing the score. And it sounds like, oh, yeah, she would be perfect for this. And she'd be perfect as a sort of madcap woman who does love this child that has been brought into her life. And she does want the best for it, but almost doesn't have the tools or the ability to actually take care of this child. Like, she, in a way, is brilliant casting, and she would have been great in a movie, but at the time, she was just uninsurable, and and they were like, there's no way she can do eight shows a week. And if we we put her in the show, yes, she could be amazing one night, but then she'll start missing performances, and it will just sort of, like, tank the show. So they didn't let her do it. They didn't, even though she was like, I want to play this role. She was, like, throwing herself at the producers, and they said no. Because there would have been, like, the, yeah, the pathos from people knowing her actual life and her actual, like, complicated relationship with her children. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but she would just, there's no way that she would have been able able to to do do it. it at all. But, yeah, she would have been great in a movie version of it. Yeah, like, the that's the other thing about the movie is they don't really explore the darkness of what's happening. Right. And because I was like, I always think of if this was set today, like what would be, you know, Mm -hmm. this, this sort of over the hill, like, flapper drunk because she's like, they're all like alcoholics in this too. They drink a lot. I don't think she's meant to be over the hill so much. Oh, maybe not. (laughs) I think that's something you're taking. Like, too. Well, so because it starts off right before, um, uh, Black Friday, like right before, is that what it's called? Black Friday when the mm-hmm. stock market yeah, crashed? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In 1929. And so it's all these like flappers like hanging out and drinking champagne and going crazy. And then you just don't think, I mean, even because Lucille Ball was what in her 60s, but even if it's mm-hmm. a woman in like her 40s, right. she would have been, it would have been a little, a little weird, weird that she's partying. That like she's partying that, that much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I want to say she's meant to be like in her 30s where it's not, not so problematic and it's more I just see. like, oh, this is how she's living her life. And also, yeah. In that time of like, why should I don't have to get married? Why should I get married? Why should I settle down if I don't want to? You know, like there's a way in which you could be like, yeah, I mean, if you if you can, as long as you're paying your bills, you know what I mean? Yeah. And getting stuff done, like it's fine if you want to party all the time. And I guess like because at the beginning of the movie, she's so wealthy. It's just like it, it doesn't 
Because if, if she was like a sort of a working class or a middle class bohemian who like had to scrape by and like mm-hmm. was an artistic person, then I feel like that's a character that you can sort of get behind and root for. Right. But because she's so rich, it just seems like she's this lazy asshole who doesn't want to do anything. <laughs> uh, and then like when, um, so she adopts the the nephew and then the well, Great Depression like she, happens. She, doesn't, uh, she, she doesn't adopt. She doesn't adopt. Like her brother... Uh, has passed away and it's part of the will that she takes care of this nephew. But it also is just weird to me that like he's what, like eight or I well, I think like in he's real a life, little he, older, twelve maybe. I, Who knows? I think by the end of the movie he he the actual actor turned ten. So I think he's around that age. But could you imagine having like a nine year old nephew that you had never met? Yeah, there must be That seems I mean, weird. The 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 father and Mame had to have been estranged. Mm-hmm. But it also seems weird. Like, if you were estranged from your sibling, would you be like, "All right, you're in charge of my my child"? No, it makes no sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like oh, this woman is so irresponsible. I don't even want my son to meet her. To be like, oh well. Uh, but now you're in charge of. Yeah, taking I mean, care maybe it's him. like a money thing. Like he didn't want any of the family money to go. Well, it is. It does say like in his will, he's like, "I don't think she was responsible." Like, it is very weird that set up, and you sort of have to yeah. buy that to get into the rest of the movie. And you don't really know where the family got this money. Mm-hmm. Like, she, you know that uh, Mame has invested in the stock market, and she has right. like a a wealth manager or whatever that she likes. But yeah, she. So the Great Depression happens they lose everything she claims oh i don't care i just you know um i just want to be with him want to be with him but then she has to get uh, a job she's at Mm -hmm. uh like a toy store a department store yeah some sort of department store like a like a gimbals or bloomingdale's sort of thing but it's not those and she's bad at it yeah she's never had to work (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and she I don't really get why. Why did she get fired? She was like trying. She was letting people buy things on credit when they had to pay cash or something. Is that what was going on? Yeah, yeah, or yeah, it was some weird. So Robert Preston comes in and he's he wants to buy something for. He said like his my chickadee. And yeah, we weren't and sure if it was his girlfriend or his daughter. I think it was the the girl that they end up meeting down south. That's like the one who sort of pretends to befriend Mame, gotcha, but actually gotcha. wants to sabotage her. I think it's. I think that's who he's talking about. And so it's sort is, of like. Are they, somehow related or somehow it's there who knows it's yeah, yeah. the deep south so they might be cut it's sort of like a scarlett o'hara les uh, not leslie nielsen what's his name <laughs> leslie howard um like they're probably cousins but no one right. cares. so he's trying to buy roller skates for her and so but he doesn't know her shoe size and so lucille ball is like well you can i'll model them for you and then her boss gets mad that she's like i guess because she's flirting with this customer or i don't know yeah and there was something to do with like Cash versus and then, credit versus then to sell it. He's like, oh, you have to send this gift, collect COD. And he was like, that's not a gift. She's like, no, it's better. And then her boss is like, you ring that up where he pays cash now. And she's like, you haven't taught me how. And then he fires her. Yeah. It is weird. Yeah, he's like, you're the <laughs> stupidest person on the floor. He's like, you can't say that. <laughs> not in front of the customer. No. Yeah. So she roller skates home. And, but then he finds her because she's just so charmed by her. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he's over the hill, but not as over the hill. She's, he's probably, I mean, he's cute, I guess. But I don't know. It's weird. Uh, so then she goes down to meet like they I guess they start dating even though you don't really see mm-hmm. them they're like courtship you uh you do after the fact you do but after yeah, 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 yeah. but the the big sort of set piece at the I guess what would be the end of act one in the yeah, stage yeah. version is her going to Georgia to the plantation <laughs> um and like trying to impress these like disgusting racist pieces of shit <laughs> And the movie, and this is why, like, at the end of the movie, the sort of big set piece of Act 2, which we'll get to, which I thought was actually surprising, that they were commenting on racism, where, because in Act 1, uh, in the, the South, South, they don't, they just, they, they uh, the Deep South is something to be revered and to, and to, to aspire to, uh, in a way. Like, the they sort of make fun of the individual, like, the weird mother who burps and the, the creepy mm-hmm. cousin, but the whole time, Mame is just trying to impress them. Right. And she's forced to ride a horse because she's on a fox hunt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, again, it's like 20 years earlier, if Lucille Ball had to like do this physical comedy bit where she's like falling off a horse, it would have been amazing mm-hmm. comic genius. And now it's like a lot of like long shots. Yeah. Like, is this a <laughs> double? Back, is that her? Right. Yeah. And then the climax when she falls off, it's like this slow motion. The horse just sort of stops at a fence and then yeah. she just slowly like rolls off. <laughs> and it seems like something they really were gentle about. <laughs> and then she just finds the fox. She like befriends the fox. Yeah. And then they all like, they do a big her. production number. They sing. Her. It's like the Hello Dolly song, yeah. but for mm-hmm. Mame, it's just called Mame. Mame? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's just talking about like how great Mame is and how great plantation life is. Yeah, yeah. And how all the South is. She's charmed everyone in the South. 
Yeah, from riding a bad horse yeah. and catching a fox. It's so weird. Uh, and they, and like the movie is obviously very, very white. This is the first time you ever see like a black person is the the servants in the plantation. Mm-hmm. Like, this is so fucked up. But <laughs> no, she, there's like a black flapper too at her party. Oh, was there? Yeah, yeah. I must have missed that one. <laughs> oh, and <laughs> they're the, of like course the, the, the Asian butler. And the Asian butler, right. Uh, but... They fall in love, they get married, and then immediately, or then they like go away for. There's like a montage of them traveling and him like showing her the world. And, they and go do to they travel for, is it as long as like to see Patrick grow up? So are they supposed to be traveling for like a decade? Uh, I don't think a decade, but I think for a while. Because he's he, an adult. Yeah, well, there's that montage where he's, because so he, Patrick is then, is now at a boarding school. And so there's that song where I don't, I don't think it's called like the letter song, but it's like the same. Uh, it's the same theme, musical, uh, the same melody as the song "Mame," okay. where he's like singing about like, oh, now like now he's starting to shave and he's getting yeah. tall. And that would be the beginning of Act Two. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Uh, and then, um, and then he grows up, so that that happens. But it does that. It has the same sort of issue that I think is another musical that uh, Jerry Herman wrote, "La Caja Fall," where um, there's this child. In both cases, there's a child who has grown up in this sort of uh, very unique circumstance and then has someone that they want to marry. And immediately they're just like you, everyone has to be normal and everyone has to stop being their unique selves that I've grew up with and like loved. Uh, And so like he, he like doesn't want Mame to meet his girlfriend or like, he doesn't want to tell her that they're engaged because he knows she's going to do something upstage them. She's going to be weird. And her family's all very like her family's very uptight and waspy. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, Mame has been traveling with, uh, what's his face? And then, and then he gets into a ski accident and dies. He, yeah, no, no, an avalanche. Yeah, and that's <laughs> yeah, that's when Patrick so then she comes gets, back. So then she gets another fortune. So she's back to being rich. Right. Okay. So she's back, and her uh, her hair color changes. Yeah. So like, and I was wondering thematically what that means because she's sort of a a brunette at the beginning, and then she goes a little lighter for when they're on the plantation, and then in Act Two when she's a widow, then she has her classic Lucille classic Lucille ball, ball, yeah, bright red hair. And, but the, yeah, and so so Patrick comes back from college with this sort of like a Catherine Hepburn wannabe wasp, sort of yeah, um, who's actually played by uh, oh gosh I forget her name but she's she's married to Craig T Nelson in real life. Oh, funny. Um, and she was sort of like a, a she was very skinny, pretty ingenue uh-huh. in the seventies. But she is you know the snobby because Patrick is you supposed know, to be like, going to some you know, Ivy the League right college. kind of people kind of yeah. yeah. And so Mame immediately is like suspicious of her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, and then the big sort of climax of Act Two is they, uh, Patrick and Mame, go to go upstate, Connecticut, Connecticut right. to 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 meet this woman's family, and there is when you actually see some spunk in Mame, and she actually has because the whole time you're being told, oh, she's so eccentric, she's so crazy, mm-hmm. and except for her like being hung over every once in a while, you don't really <laughs> see any of that. She doesn't seem. I mean, there's nothing, especially like. Maybe she's a little kooky, but there's nothing sort of like madcap, political, or, madcap yeah, yeah. or like she doesn't have any convictions about anything. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she was able to like go to the South and just sort of impress these plantation people mm-hmm. made me like, well, this is like such white privilege of like <laughs> you can be madcap and eccentric and yet still fit into these, this, the, this, the like ruling class and like people mm-hmm. will, will be fine with you. And then finally in the, at the end of the show, she developed some sort of like backbone and some sort of conviction, mm-hmm. um, which sort of saved the movie. Cause I was like, at least they're going to say <laughs> something about something two hours into this movie. I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, Patrick has become, cause you always think, or I think of Patrick as sort of like coded as gay when he's a kid. I, yeah. I mean like, I think he's based on the author who's gay. Yeah. yeah. But then he grows up to be straight and mm-hmm. to be with this the young Bruce Davidson. Yeah. Is that his name? He was no, no, no. That's the actor who played. Oh, it. the actor. Yeah, he's better than the little kid. I thought he was fine. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's with this weird Connecticut girl, and then so they go to the what do they call up ups and downs? Yeah. So like their their last name is Upson, yeah. and then they name their estate Downs. It's a so super it's the joke. Upson's Downs. Yeah, and Hilarious. it's like it's very like waspy. Like they have mm-hmm. these weird these weird brothers that are all swimming in a pool. The it's like it it is. That seems very true to life of like these right. very rich people who like to think that they're super casual and cool and have like mm, a right. rumpus room and <laughs> right, like, oh, right. we're just barbecuing out on the lawn. Mm. But they're like disgusting Republicans. Right. <laughs> um, so they like Mame knows that they're sort of not to be trusted. And then yeah. finally, after dinner, they show their true colors. 
and they say, oh, we, we want to buy the property next to our house because, quote unquote, like the wrong sort of people might right. be loose. And this is after they uh, insult their, because they have a black housekeeper. Right. And they some, say something like, oh, Bertha's great because most of them are getting so snotty nowadays. Right. Something yeah, like yeah. That. And then... There's some not so subtle shade. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, finally, this movie's getting somewhat. I mean, it's like easy political target, but at least it mm-hmm. has some something, something to yeah. say. Yeah. Um. So, what? So, a Mame Mame she, buys the property and says she's going to create a a home for unwed mothers. <laughs> so that so then the Upsons come to visit Mame in New York, and she makes sure that they see uh, her. You know, uh, Agnes Gooch, who is her unmarried pregnant. pregnant yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're appalled friend. at that. They're appalled at that. Um, and then she just <laughs> brings in a bus of unmarried <laughs> pregnant women yeah. that just show up. B. Arthur shows up just because why not? Why not? Well, and this is the first time you see actually like Mame having, I mean, she's not friends with these unwed mothers, but you actually see like a diverse group. Like there's a lot of people of color right? right, right. and you're like, well, and this is very, I don't know. It's like the limousine liberal. Yeah. Like, well, now when you want to make a political point, you're using, you're going to bust, literally color. bust, yeah, them, bust in. them in <laughs> because you want to fuck with this waspy family. But like, where were these people? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It seemed a little weird. How do you know this? You should just call like, Hey, home for unwed mothers. Yeah. Go on a bus trip. Beacon place. <laughs> um, so Patrick is like, Pissed off at first, but then the Gloria, the her his fiance, uh, leaves with her parents. They're all appalled that these unwed mothers were gonna are gonna be their neighbors. And then randomly, he falls in love with like the new Irish, the new maid. Irish maid who shows up right too. <laughs> yeah, the and one white, uh, like sort of ethnic. Class. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like oh, we're gonna one of those marry. people. They go oh, Irish or ethnic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, this movie also has a lot of. Uh, like just jumps in time that are so like what happened? Because doesn't he leave? He Patrick leaves with the family, sort of mad at Mame, and then the next time we see them, it's like at least twelve years. I ten at least twelve years later because they have a son who oh, she that's wants the very to, end. Yeah, yeah um, and so he's now married to the to the woman who was once the maid, and they have a child, and she wants to like take him on madcap adventures too and spoil him, and he's like no, no, and then finally she he relents and she wins, and then yeah, they and they off go off together. to Siberia, Siberia. <laughs> with her grandnephew. Yeah, yeah, the time because at the beginning it's very specifically like 1929, right before mm-hmm. the crash, and then I guess yeah, it's supposed to be like the late 30s with the sort of Catherine Hepburn type character, mm-hmm. but. World War II never enters into it. You think like that? They, were, they definitely something had to going on there. cover yeah, yeah. that at some point. See, so yeah, I guess. Oh, and then by the end, Mame's hair is actually gray. Right. Um, she actually, and that's the best she ever looks throughout the whole movie. Because I was like, oh, you actually look like your your age. You, you yeah, look you gray. look gray. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's the key: is to like let your hair go gray. And then people are like, oh, you look good for your age. Yeah. Whereas if you dye it a weird it's color, like, they're like, oh, you're, you're fighting. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. What's that Sunset Boulevard line? Like, there's nothing long, wrong with looking 50 as long as you're not trying to look 20 or oh, something like that. It's a good line. It's a good line. <laughs> <laughs> Better than any line in Mame. Um, so, yeah. So she goes off to Siberia with the grandnephew and we starts the number and here we go again. again. Yep. And that's the movie. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it's so sad for me. Like, Luce, I don't know. Lucille Ball is like a once in a generation talent and it's... It's just it's weird to to see her so uh, like fish out of water like she just to seems do this. also just not to be having fun and the same is true of like B Arthur too like in their number when you watch it you're just like oh she looks like she's like waiting for this take to be over so she can divorce her husband and get out of this movie yeah. like they no one seems to be having fun in this movie well, I'm sure like B Arthur if she had worked with with Angela Lansbury was probably pissed off that Angela Lansbury didn't get the part in the movie, didn't want Lucille Ball to be in it. Uh, I imagine so, but I guess like with her husband directing, but although I think she was signed on before that. I mean, like it was like a, it's such a perfect role for her that I can imagine her being like, well, I have to do this role. And also I can imagine being like, I want to do this role in film where like it will, like my performance will be seen. You know what I mean? Like it will last for forever. Totally. Um, And actually I think one of the funniest things in the movie is just like, during that song Bosom Buddies where they just t- did they just do a shot of her and it's her doing like a classic B. Arthur just like cold stare and it, she doesn't move her face doesn't move it's just like she does that classic B. Arthur look and it's great it's yeah, absolutely that, perfect that was the best moment of the whole movie was that <laughs> B. Arthur stare because you're like oh she's got it like, yeah like you actually <laughs> see her glimpse. knocking it out of the park in a way that only she can in the yeah. way that she does best and like Lucille Ball is as iconic a comedic performer, but there was nothing, there was no moment in the movie where I really was like, Oh, that's a 
classic A-list top tier Lucy moment. Right. Yeah. Whereas the B. Arthur one, you're like, oh, there she yeah, is. It, yeah. Like that's what she does. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's oh. what I paid for. Yep. God. And like, what a lost opportunity. Cause you're like, oh, Lucille Ball and B. Arthur together. And yeah, it seems like that one song they have together. It's a funny song. Yeah. It's, it's a great song. Um, I've heard it. I feel like a million times in like acting classes or like, girl, sure. like girls doing that. But, um, yeah, they just seem like they really do hate each other. And like, you want to have <laughs> it's that. It's that they hate each other so much as they just have no chemistry. No. Like there's, cause it is, that song is a weird song of like, there are people who, it's called Bosom Buzzing. It's two people who've been friends for, for years, but who also like, like sh- sort of shading each other. Yeah, it's like, a classic it's like a frenemy. Song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's it's a great number. It's, it's a re- like two great personalities can can you know take down the house with that number, and they just are like, all right, we're doing this number because we have to. Yeah. Well, so guys, if you have <laughs> two hours and fourteen minutes to spare on a lonely night, uh, you can it's either that or going to the dentist. Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but I'm not going to recommend you put yourself through this like <laughs> like so many of these movies where i'm like pleading for you to watch them what would you say for you like was like your favorite number of it um i mean bosom buddies even though like we said they didn't really yeah. have chemistry like that's a fun number i think i mean the the craziest one is mame on the plantation right. but it's <laughs> like it's almost i mean there isn't there's no blackface in the movie but it's almost on that level where you're like i don't think people should watch this anymore. <laughs> uh, oh, and then the, the Christmas song is, well, it's a wonderful song. Yeah, it's and, a great song. And um, it's a lovely, because it it's early November when we're recording this. Right. And I was like, yeah. It's early November a, when that happened. Yeah, when I then need a little show too. Yeah, like they're depressed and she's like, we're going to have Christmas now. Like it's a great sort of thing. So that was nice. Uh, other than that, yeah, it's just, I mean... It's also hard because in that context, like you're not hearing someone put the numbers over well. No. You know what I mean? It's also fun like, to be like watching watching the numbers again. Cause this was the second time I've seen this movie. Because I saw it once, I was like, oh yeah, this is as bad as everyone says. Like so much of the like the opening number two, when like it's it's a party that Mame is throwing at her house and everyone's there and she's and they're like, What's the point of this party? She's like, It's today, and that's the name of the song. It's just like it's all about like, you know, like we're celebrating because it's today. There's like it's just like her standing and then like ten people around her moving, and then she like walks over to like another section of her apartment and then people dance around her oh, and yeah. she just sort of like taps her hands or whatever. Um it is a fun number, but because she does not have the vocals to pull it over, like it is too bad. Like Judy Garland would have been great, yeah. potentially could have been great in this role in this movie. It would have been a, a perfect Judy Garland movie. Yeah, and Judy Garland possibly could have gotten through shooting the movie, maybe if she didn't right. have to actually do it on stage. Of course, she was dead by this point, <laughs> uh, and she would have actually been the right age. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think the the production design is gorgeous. Like all the her her big uh, apartment, oh yeah, pace and place in the a lot of the, the costumes are great. The, yeah all that stuff is oh yeah all lucille ball's costumes are great she looks amazing um mm-hmm. a little rickety but she looks, she looks like <laughs> yeah. she can still she fit was a just, dress. she just stand yeah. there yeah because yeah, that, yeah. that the dress she has at the end of, not the very last but like when the upsons come to visit her oh the, the weird with the bows yeah yeah, yeah, like, yeah and she just stands on top of the staircase you're like that looks great yeah and you do get a th- like finally seeing that bright red hair you do get mm-hmm. like a little bit of thrill like, there like, she oh, is Lucy's yeah, yeah. back yeah now sing mame yeah 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 i'm like oh yeah, I guess that makes sense that you wanted to build up to that that hair, <laughs> and it is it is orange in such a because I'm so used to seeing her in black, black and, white. and white, right, right, and so it is like it's like truly insane that like this was the hair color that she decided to have throughout her whole life. <laughs> um, but, yeah, she found the chemical mix. She was yeah. like, "We're patenting that." No one's yeah, but by this time it must have been a wig, like I oh possibly. I don't think this was her real hair. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So. Thank you, John. Thank so you so much for doing High Camp. <laughs> my pleasure. Before we leave, I ask all my guests if we were to write a third volume of High Camp and add some more movies to the High Camp canon, which film would you like to nominate? Add to the list. Uh, I was thinking about this, and I have. What about Hocus Pocus? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. You're gonna go. I was trying to think of like another musical that like that Midler also has that yeah, red yeah, yeah. sort of hair. Um, that has fun. Hocus Pocus is a movie. I think people who like are fond about it, like misremember it. Yeah. There's a lot of like really like creaky, like not so great stuff in it, but the stuff that's fun, like the, I put a spell on you. That's a great number. That's really fun. It is a great, there's a lot of fun stuff in it, but there's a lot of just like creaky weird stuff. And it's, um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's Bette Midler, Kathy and Jimmy and Sarah Jessica Parker. Parker, And they all are very fun. Mm -hmm. I think I'm, 
I'm like two years too old right. to really be in that prime. Hope. Right. Because I remember it coming out. I was probably like 12. Right. And so I think I already sort of thought it was a little stupid. Yeah, it is. I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. But I think one of the reasons too, I because I um, co-wrote a musical parody of it a couple years ago. Oh, and yes, so, you did. Yeah, that's true. I did. Which is better than the original. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, but I met one of the uh, one of the writers who did a pass at it. Um, so we were talking. He came and saw the show. And we were talking about it and like how it is. It is we. It is sort of interesting how it has this like cult following. And one thing that he pointed out was that it is one of the few Halloween movies that is family friendly. Like most Halloween movies are horror movies or slasher movies, yeah. but Hocus Pocus is one of the few that like you can watch as a family. You know what I mean? You can watch it year after year. You can watch it with kids, and it's not. Even though there are some, there's like a weird plot point of like the young boy being like them. They make fun of him for being a virgin, and it's like, well, he's like supposed to be like 16, and also like Thor Birch, who plays his younger sister, is like, yeah, you dumb virgin, and it's like you are six or seven. You know what I mean? Like you're a child, and you're making fun of your brother for being a virgin, like you're not a virgin. Yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe she's not. Who she knows? Had a I mean, she was childhood. Thor <laughs> that is possible. Maybe maybe those are ad libs from Thor Birch on oh set. Oh my god. Um, but I do think that would that could go. I had another suggestion too. I don't know. If yeah, you too. To, yeah, uh, is a clue. Oh yeah. I think that's like a, a great one. See, that's that, when I was young enough to just be like completely into and not think it was stupid. Right. Uh, well, the thing about Clue too, though, I think because I that's one of those. I think we've both watched it hundreds of times. Yeah. You know, um, some of it is actually brilliant, and there are a bunch of like. Cl- there's also like a ton of clunkers in it, like especially like a lot of the lines are like really hokey, kind of like bad dad humor in it. I guess for me, it's brilliant start to finish <laughs> i think it's like i mean it's the greatest comedic I've, i think i've said this on another episode the greatest comedic cast ever assembled for it's a, a pretty great is, yeah. yeah um and i yeah i haven't seen it all the way through in a long time but i just would watch it over and over and it I is definitely it a so movie great. like if it if you i mean no one does this anymore but if you are just flipping through channels <laughs> and it shows yeah. up it's like yeah i'll keep yeah. watching um what, what parts do you think don't work in clue uh, it's not so much like parts so much as just like a lot of jokes. Like mm-hmm. when they're, you know, like I, the one that is coming to my mind right now is like when Colonel Mustard looks in there, like, is everything right? He's like, yep, three corpses. Everything's fine. You know, like there's a lot of like really like hokey, like hoary, like just really creaky yeah. jokes in it like that. But then there's also like really fun moments, you know, obviously the, I mean, the best Madeline Kahn and the flames. Yeah, and that was improvised? That was improvised. Yeah. yeah. Apparently she like forgot her lines and just started going. And it's funny if you do, if you watch that thing again in the back, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Mr. Chris Green. No, oh, no, no. Michael McKeon. Michael McKeon. You can see him like, like almost like duck out of frame. Cause he's just like, oh my God, I have to like, I can't cause, cause I think it's like him, he being aware, like this is brilliant. But if I start laughing, they cannot use yeah. this. Um, but yeah, like he's any he, Michael McKean is great in this movie, and I was like, I think it's one of Tim Curry's best performances. I, I think it is his best performance. Like, uh-huh. uh, I mean, I'm notoriously uh, anti anti Rocky Horror, <laughs> <laughs> and then wa- rewatching the It miniseries, like when you were oh, watching yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I watched. I was like, oh, I don't think this is very good. It is. It's funny, uh, yeah, because I, I also just wrote a musical parody of It, um, and I had not seen the miniseries or, or um, when I did it, so I, you know, obviously watched it. And so many people were like, oh my god, it's so scary, it's so scary. And I was watching, I was like, this is not scary. This is like community. It was like watching community theater on television. I felt, and like he's good in it, but there's nothing about it that's scary or weird i think part of it is it also seemed that it i felt like seemed like you have you know three weeks to shoot this whole thing um so there's no like effects so like when he's like there creeping them out it's like you could just touch him you know you can just you know like there's nothing about him that feels otherworldly or or scary or creepy but people yeah it is it is often like touted as one of his top performances and i think he's good he's fine yeah Yeah, like there's nothing bad about it but but i don't think the show uh the rest of the show sort of like supports him and being exceptional like, but Clue, I think he is just absolutely great. Like yeah. those, the moments, like that that whole section where he's like telling them all like what they're being blackmailed for and all that stuff. I think he's so brilliant in that. The end where he's like running through like, here's how it all happened. Two plus three plus three. Plus yeah, three. yeah, like all that stuff is so great. Yeah, he's able, I mean, he's able to be, he's like so uh, just British and like charming and funny, but also like sinister. He's yeah. like all the things that Tim Curry can do well. Yeah. Um, and he's just like the glue that holds like all these crazy, because I mean, it's like, you know, Madeline Kahn, Eileen Brennan, Martin Mull, like all these people that are all amazing, but they all have such different energies, which is yeah. perfect for Clue because you yeah, have exactly. all these different people. But Tim Curry just holds the whole thing together. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why I am not looking forward to the new Jason Bateman version. Oh, of Clue? Yeah. Okay. They're developing it. Who do they? Is it? Are they? Is it based on that? Because it's that Jason character Bateman was... as all the characters. 
Really? No, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I think it's just going to be Wadsworth. I imagine. Okay, because Wadsworth was invented for the movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's no Wadsworth in the board game, right? <laughs> but I mean, like you could do, like you could go like, go back to the board game, not the drawing board, and like create a new thing. But I think, yeah, at this point, if you're doing a clue, everyone's thinking the movie it's more tough. than the board game. It's sort of like Willy Wonka when Tim. Mm. Burton did it because it's yeah. like he they wanted to go back to the book, but the movie was so iconic. Right. It was sort of this half-assed, sort of like the book, sort of like the movie that just uh, didn't work. Right. And I'm afraid that that's what's because like and what other what but luckily comedians there's not much... from our generation would there there's no good comedians under 50. <laughs> I don't think that's no, true. <laughs> but like who okay, Annalie Ashford. I'm obsessed with her. I think okay. she could be you know, we saw her way. in uh I know Kinky yeah, yeah. Boots, yeah. Kinky Boots. We also saw her at Sunday in the Park with George. I didn't see. Something. Oh, you didn't see something? You Park? saw that on with Jake Gyllenhaal? No, the the middle one. There was one. There was the original Broadway one. Bernard oh, Peters made I did Tinkin. see that. We did see that. that yeah, we great. saw that together. She was Don that in that her. one. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there are a bunch of people I think would be great. I think uh, 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 I think Darcy Carden could be funny oh, in yeah. it. I think um, that's true. Uh, why can't I think of her name right now? Kristen Shaw, I think, could be funny in it. Sure, like different part, like, but also they don't need to be under fifty. Like, yeah, Mrs. True. Peacock does not need to be a, a young chicken, as it were. <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, they're they're definitely you could definitely do a great fun clue. Got a uh, Allison Jones to cast it. <laughs> there we'll you go. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, we should get going, should. John. Before we leave. <laughs> Do you have anything to plug? Uh, sure. I also have a podcast uh, called Two Old Queens that I co-host with Mark Rennie, and we uh, have guests come on, bring a movie, and we try to figure out. We have a very uh, complex and Byzantine scoring system to figure out how gay the movie is. Brian, you were a guest on it. I was a guest. Uh, I you talked Aggie with Hewitt. Aggie Hewitt, talked about The Talented Mr. Ripley, which mm-hmm. I think is like middle of the pack gayest movie. It's sort of... Yeah, it's it's. I'm not sure exactly where it's not the top five or the bottom five right yeah, now. Right, I know well, that those, those are the only that. reviews, the, <laughs> the only uh, levels that What's we review. The the top one is still, currently is still Mabasig Manhattan. It's, it's going to be tough to beat. It's a tough one to beat. Yeah. What's the most the bottom? Uh, I think it is. What about Bob? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty I've not still gay. never seen that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So listen to Two Old Queens if you like High Camp. Mm-hmm. You'll definitely love Two Old exactly. Queens. Exactly. Uh, and um, it is still running. For it is a little still bit. running until November twenty third. If you're in uh, uh, the LA area at Rockwell Table and Stage, it's a uh, musical parody of Stephen King's It. Um, it's a lot of fun. You can come check that out. And what are your social media? Uh, I am at jfly99 on Twitter, and I believe I'm at john underscore flynn ninety nine on Instagram. Perfect. Yeah, there well, you go. Thank you. Thank so you so much. much. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, if you like this podcast, please go to the Apple Podcast Store, rate us five stars, give us a nice review. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at High Camp Pod. Follow me personally, Brian Rucker, at RuckerBry on Instagram and Twitter. And I will see you next week. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.